You're listening to the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. We hope that this podcast is a helpful resource in your daily walk with Christ. Now, here's today's sermon. Genesis chapter 22 in our series of the patriarchs. Now in the last chapter, Isaac was born 25 years after he was promised to Abraham and Sarah. Most of us, if we were promised to have children 25 years from now, we'd be like, no thanks. <laughs> uh, I'll be, I'm fine. But throughout the years, Abraham, and what we've seen here is Abraham has messed up many times. Most of the times when he messed up, it was due to a lack of faith. It was lack of faith in God. And so after Isaac was born, then there was conflict in the home. Conflict between Sarah and Isaac. And between Hagar and Ishmael. And that conflict really is a result of Abraham's lack of faith, right? If he had expressed the faith and he had shown the faith that God had given him every opportunity to, to know and to understand and to grow in that faith, if that would have happened, then we would have had these problems. And so because of that conflict, God tells Abraham, send away Ishmael and Hagar. Now, God provided for them, God promised to provide for them, but we saw from the book of Galatians what God was doing. But no doubt, this was difficult for Abraham. No doubt it was difficult for him to send away Ishmael, his son. And so we closed out chapter 21 last time with a meeting between Abraham and Abimelech where they made a covenant with each other. Then Abraham planted a grove and called on the name of the Lord. The covenant of these men, we saw this was a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're not stretching to find that. It's clearly what we see there. So now we come to chapter 22. This chapter records one of the most famous stories and one of the most famous events in Scripture. And after all the faith failures, all the times that Abraham had failed to believe God, failed to trust God, we are going to see an event where Abraham had more faith, which landed him in the hall of faith. More faith than any of us probably could imagine having. So, Genesis chapter 22, look at verse number 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I tell thee of. Now, this is certainly an example of Abraham's faith being tested. Now, he hasn't done so well at many of the tests he had gone through before, but now we see here in verse number 1, it says that God did tempt Abraham. In the Old Testament, the word tempt means to prove. Um, in fact, uh, James chapter 1 in the New Testament tells us, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. And so in the New Testament, it can mean to test, prove, or entice to sin. So in the book of James, when, he used the word, when we see the word tempt there, it could be used to prove, test, or it can be used to entice to sin. Now, any type of temptation, any type of testing is an opportunity to fail and to sin, isn't it? Whether it is from God, it's an opportunity to fail or, or sin, or whether it is from Satan or from the world, it can be an opportunity to fail or to sin. But specifically there in James chapter 1, when it says that God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man, it is clearly talking about an enticement to sin. God does not entice people to sin. But in verse number 1 here of Genesis chapter 2, it's clearly not an enticement to sin, but it is a test that God is going to put Abraham to and through. 
So this was not a test to build faith only, but it was a test to demonstrate faith. And we're going to talk more about that as we go through this. Abraham had failed in lesser situations, in less difficult situations, although maybe some still difficult situations. But in, listen, in each failure, his faith grew. And I'm so thankful that when I fail, that God grows me in that. If I allow him, right? Warren Rearsby, and I've quoted him many times, God I love this quote. God never wastes a trial in one of his children's lives. But we can add to that, we may waste it, but God doesn't. And so if we will learn from that, he will do it. And God has been working through Abraham. Here's a trial. Here's a problem. And Abraham fails, but he continues to grow in his faith. And sometimes it is the grace of God not giving us what we deserve, giving us the good that we don't deserve that is growing his faith. So Abraham responds to God. He says, God did tempt Abraham, and he said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Abraham said this, Behold, here I am. When Abraham responded with here I am, he was not making a statement of location, but he was making a statement of availability. This is not about God saying, hey, where did Abraham go? I don't know where you are. But Abraham, in his response, he wasn't saying, God, here I am. Here, I'm over here. He was saying, God, I'm available. When we see a prophet and we see somebody say, here am I or here I am, Lord. It is a statement of, I'm ready to do what you want me to do. God is not wondering where you are, but God may be wondering, not that God doesn't know, but he may be asking, are you willing to do what I want you to do? God calls our names. He calls us to see if we are willing. He doesn't call us to see if we're capable. He doesn't call us to see if we're in the area, but he calls us to see if we are willing. If we are willing and he has a plan, he will get us to the area that we need to be in and he will equip us with what we need to do the job. And so the question are, are you ready to do what God wants you to do? Or are you waiting for the itinerary of the trip before you decide whether you want to go or not? Oh, Lord, I'm, I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. But, oh, you want me to go there? Oh, I didn't know that was an option. I'm not willing to do that. Are you willing to do whatever God wants? That there is a, there is a shortage of, of pastors and missionaries in our world. Good Bible-preaching, Bible-believing pastors and missionaries. Yet... Why is that? Is that because God's not calling enough people? Or is that because people are not willing to, to step out and trust God with their lives? So he says here, he says, in verse number two, and he said, take now thy son, thine only son. Now we know he had another son, didn't he? He had a son named Ishmael. In fact, he had a firstborn son named Ishmael. But Ishmael, and if we go back to Galatians chapter four, Ishmael had been cast out. He had been cast out because he was not going to be the recipient of the inheritance. Sarah had said, I want him out. He's not going to be an heir with my son. And what that was, although it sounds cruel, and Sarah's heart may not have been all that kind in it, but God had a plan, and there was a picture of the law. So he's been cast out. He's no longer a recipient of the inheritance. But then he says, and this is interesting, in verse number 2, Thine only son, whom thou lovest. Do you know this is the first time in the Bible that we see the word love or lovest or anything like that? Now, does that mean that love didn't exist before? Then of course not. And certainly Isaac, or certainly Abraham, had a love for Ishmael. He had an affection for Ishmael. This is the first time we see this word. Now, Abraham, he loved others. Certainly he loved Sarah and he loved, uh, Isaac, he loved Ishmael. But Isaac, and we talked about this, when we see the word love, God, did he love Isaac as we think of love? Absolutely. But the word love also entails a favor. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated 
There is a, there's a favor there that is being shown. And so he says, Isaac, whom thou lovest. Did Isaac have a special place and a special plan in God's mind, in, in Abraham's heart? The, I think the answer to that is absolutely. Why? Because this is the son through whom all the world would be blessed through his seed. It wasn't because Isaac was especially good. Okay? It's not because Abraham was especially good. It's not because Ishmael was especially bad. It's because there was a plan for this son. And he says there, and he says, Whom thou lovest, and get thee in the land of Moriah. We'll talk about Moriah in just a moment, but he says, Get thee in the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Now, the Canaanites, those in the land, they were people who practiced human sacrifice. Their gods, they believed that their gods wanted them to practice human sacrifice. And that's what would please the gods. Did God desire, did our God, the true God, the only God, did he desire the same thing? Did he desire human sacrifice? That doesn't sound right, does it? That doesn't sound like the valuing of human life. No, in fact, God would not let it happen. He would stop it. David Guzik wrote this. And this is, this is a good quote. Abraham had to learn the difference between trusting the promise and trusting the promiser. Think about that. He had to learn the difference. And sometimes they trust the promises of God. Really what we should be saying is trust God. He went on to say this. We can put God's promise before God himself and feel it is our responsibility to bring the promise to pass. Even if we have to disobey God to trust it, to do it. Trust the promiser no matter what. And the promise will be taken care of. You ever feel like, oh, I, I got to sin here because this is, I got to accomplish God's plan. So I have to sin. I have to do something. I have to go outside of God's laws, go outside of God's regulations, go outside of God's boundaries because I have to fulfill, make sure God's promise. I got to make sure God doesn't fail in his promise. So Abraham goes to Mount Moriah. The name Moriah is only used twice in Hebrew. The other place is 2 Chronicles 3.1. We're told there of the location of the temple that Solomon built. Now, today, what I understand, and what I've seen pictures of, is that on that mount, there are still some of the walls, still some of the outer walls of the temple mount. But on that now is an Islamic mosque and shrine instead of the temple. Now, we know the temple will, will be back there again. Uh, it may not be until during the tribulation period. But there will, the temple will be rebuilt. And so... There, that's where he heads, is to that place, which again would be the place of the temple in the future. Now, look at verse number 3. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass, and he took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clayed the wood for the burnt offering. means he chopped the wood, got it ready, and rose up and went to the place of which God had told him. Then, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I will... And I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake to Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. This is Abraham's faith on display. What was Abraham thinking at this point? What was he feeling at this point? I can't imagine what he was feeling. And I think we could probably come up with some ideas of what he was feeling at this point. But we're not told here what he was thinking. 
And that's interesting because in, in chapter 12, verse 12, and 17, verse 17, chapter 20, verse 11, chapter 21, verse 11, all these times where Abraham's faith failed, we are told what he's feeling. We are told what he's thinking. But here, we're not told that. We're only given his actions here in obedience because he wasn't operating on his feelings and he was operating in faith. This goes along with what we talked about this morning. That we cannot operate on our feelings, we must operate on facts. But all those other times, he operated and he made his decisions based on how he felt instead of on the reality and the truths of the Word of God. And on the promises of God. And so he operated in his faith and we're not told how he felt. And I can't imagine, I imagine this is one of the most emotional times of his life. Was his faith enough that he was able to get a good night's sleep before this? I can't imagine that it was. I imagine that it was a sleepless night. And we're told he got up early and prepped the supplies for the trip. And I could think of a lot of reasons to delay. I could think about phone calls I need to make. I could think about people I need to counsel with. I could think about, hey, I, need to, I need to call up this old pastor and say, hey, this is what God's telling me to do. I really think this, but what do you think? And look for a reason to delay or to abandon the plan. Now, God had told him to send away his, his other son in the last chapter now, certainly he loved Ishmael, Isaac being the favored son, but God is now commanding him to part with his only remaining son and his loved son in a very tragic way. Abraham had many servants, yet he chose that he was going to prep for the, uh, for the sacrifice. He would prep the wood. He would, he would get the donkey ready to go. And, I, and I've heard this before. I've heard people say there's no work that is too menial when it's done for God. Anybody ever heard that before? And I think that that's true. But I think it's better said this way. No work is menial when it is done for God. In other words, it's not too menial, like it's sort of menial, but when you do something for God, it's not too small. It's not, it's, in fact, it's not small at all. When you do something for God, and you say, you know what, hey, at BBS this week, I worked, and all I was able to do is this, or all I was able to do was that, and you say, I really couldn't do as much because of physically or just whatever time, and I couldn't. But I gave God what I could. It was not small that you gave what you could. The widow's two mites were not small. To us, it would be small if we gave just two mites. But to her, it was everything. And so, no work is small or menial when it is done for God. Now, we're told in verse 4 that three days they traveled. They traveled for three days. And uh, I can imagine for those three days... Questions are building in, in their minds. Grief is building in Abraham's mind. Isaac's going, okay, all right, we got the fire. They would have to probably carry coals of fire with them. Um, we've, got, we've got the fire, we've got the wood, okay, we've got the donkey, uh, all right, got some servants. We're missing something, but I'm sure dad's got a plan. So they, uh, when they arrived, Abraham tells the servants, okay, I want you to wait here. And he says, me and Isaac, we're going to go forward, verse number 5, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship. We'll go yonder and worship. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about worship, I think about joy. I think about singing out. I think about his robes for mine, what cause have I to dread? Uh, I can think about the words of that song and it brings joy to me knowing what God did for me. And so we go, hey, I'm ready to worship because my situation is good. I'm ready to worship because he has provided for a need. I'm ready to worship because he has resolved this problem. I'm ready to worship because life is just fine and dandy. But 
The word worship simply means to bow down. In this, one of the most difficult times, I imagine, in, in anybody's life, to say, I'm, I'm headed up the mountain to sacrifice my own son. And we can think, hey, this is, this is not a time to worship. But worship is bowing down. It is submission, not because of fear or for profit, but because of trust. They, he bows down and he says, we're going to go forward and we're going to worship God, the one who's telling me to sacrifice my son. Why would I do that? Because he trusted God. For a man who, I've said many times through this series, he was a man, not of great faith, but a man of growing faith. And we're seeing some of that growth. We're seeing some of that amazing faith that would be laid out in Hebrews chapter 11. We'll get there in just a moment. And then at verse 5, Abraham says, I and the lad will come again to you. You caught that, right? I and the lad are going to come back. I'm going to take him up there. The servants probably don't even know what the plan is. Isaac probably doesn't even know at this point what the plan is. We're going to go up there and, hey, we're going to go up. We're going to go up the mountain. We're going to worship. We're going to sacrifice. And we're going to come back to you. We've got to, we're, we're going to be back. Now, did Abraham know that God was going to spare his son? Did he know that he was going to get to the point of pulling the knife and God's going to stop him? No, but he knew that his son, at this point, finally, right? All the times he failed, say that my wife is not my wife, she's my sister, and all of that. All the times he failed, when he could have said, all the times when he said, hey, you know what, we're going to have to figure out another way to have a son because this isn't going to work. He could have just trusted God, and here he finally does. He knew that his son would be the seed through which the world would be blessed and a great nation would be born. So he knew that they would return. If God had him kill his son as a sacrifice, his faith assured him that God would raise him from that altar. I, I read a story about somebody who had to be absolutely crazy, but tried to act out this story with his son and thought God would stop him and he ended up killing his son. This is not an example for us to follow. This is something that God was teaching him, and God did not tell anybody else to do this. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. So Abraham goes up in the mountain. His faith said, hey, Whatever God wants. God has, if God, if, if I have to sacrifice him like God is telling me to do, then God will raise him up from the dead. Because I know that through him, all the world would be blessed. Or would bring about the one through him, all the world would be blessed. And then in verses 6, 6 through 8, 6 through 9, Scripture tells us nowhere before this that anyone had ever been raised from the dead at this point in history. It wasn't like, oh man, people are raised from the dead all the time. I've seen it happen, so I think God could do it. But Abraham's faith had grown to realize this, that the only thing that is impossible with God is for him not to keep his promises. That is the only thing that is impossible. If God says to do something, God can take care of it. The only thing he will not fail in is to keep his promises. So he moves forward according to God's command. Now, it says there in verse number 8, Abraham, after Isaac had said, Hey, there's a fire in the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Now, I've heard, I've heard preachers say that, and I understand they'll take this and they'll say, God will provide himself a lamb. And that's a nice thought. It's a beautiful doctrine that God did provide himself as a lamb. But the, the English here, the Old English, lends itself to us saying it that way. But the Hebrew... 
The Hebrew does not say that, okay? So this wasn't some subliminal message God put in there. But it, it does simply mean that God would provide a lamb for himself. He would provide a lamb for his purpose. So God would provide a lamb to be used for this sacrifice. And so the, it says there, in fact, it says twice in verse number 6 and verse number 8, both of them end with this, and they went both of them together. They went both of them the same way. They were united is what that means. Now, I'm not sure. When Isaac, obviously at the beginning, Isaac doesn't understand. Right? Isaac doesn't know that he's going to be the sacrifice. He doesn't know that he is the one that is supposed to be sacrificed. But at some point, especially when he says, God, where's lamb? Where's the, where's the, where's the sacrifice? And he says, God will provide a lamb for himself. He, at some point, he must have realized something's different here. And at some point, he must have realized that I am the sacrificial lamb. Ancient Jewish historian Josephus believed that he was like he was a first, I think, first century, second century Jewish historian. But he believed that Isaac was about 25 at this point. Some believe he was 33 years old because that's the age Jesus was when he died. We don't know. There's simply no way to know this. But here's what I do know. Isaac is 100 years younger than his dad. Okay, so if he's 25, dad's 125. If he's 33, dad's 133. Here's what I know. Is that if Isaac wanted to resist his dad, he would have won that battle. Right? My, my, I, I'm 45, my 16-year-old son, he's, I think he's almost as strong as me, but uh, I'm, I, still, I can still win wrestling matches because I'm smarter. You cheat, dad. No, I just won. That's all it was. It would be tough, but if I was, if I was 100 years older than him, I got no chance, right? Now, so we see that Isaac, at some point here, he knows that he's the lamb. He knows that he's a sacrifice, and he doesn't resist. In verse 9, and they came to the place which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Abraham's faith here is proven. Abraham took the knife. He's ready, willing, and intending on slaying his son. Why? Because God told him to. This is like so foreign to me to understand how this worked. I mean, I can picture it. Don't get me wrong. I cannot understand how a dad would pick up that knife to slay his son. But God would stop him. Remember back in verse 1, God called Abraham's name and he called him one time. He said, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. I'm ready, I'm willing. Now he's prepared to pierce through the heart of his son with a knife. And God calls out his name twice this time, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham responds with humility and availability. Yes, Lord, here I am. I am ready for whatever you want me to do or don't want me to do. And the angel stops him from moving forward with the sacrifice. But notice that he tells him that his willingness to do whatever God commanded was enough to prove himself to God. He says, he goes, yes, now I know. Now I know that you are 
willing. Now I know that you fear God, saying that I have not withheld your son, your only son. That tells us that his intention was to follow through with what God had told him to do. It did not require action to prove it. God looks on the heart. Now, tests, trials, they're not evidence for God's benefit, but they're demonstrations for our benefit. He said, but oh, here, here, God says, now I know. No, God knew before that. God's time is not our time. A couple weeks back, I, I, I don't remember what I said. I said something. Somebody came and they said, and it was a visitor, and they said, do you know where time came from? I said, God created it. God created it during the week of creation. God created time. We don't, we don't, God doesn't see time the way that we do. And so this test was not evidence. God knew his heart. God knew what he was able to do. God knew what he was willing to do. But this is a demonstration. God knew his heart when he got up early to prep for the trip. He knew his heart when they climbed up the mountain. But God waited until Abraham had the knife in hand and up in the air before he put it into the line. Well, when we see the, we see the benefit of seeing this event play out. His faith was further proved each step he took. But this also would prove Abraham's faith. And so the proof wasn't because God wasn't sure. The proof was because it was, it was so we could read about it so Abraham could see where his faith was. God stopped Abraham from sacrificing his son, but he still required a sacrifice. He still required a sacrifice. So God did Abraham. God did what Abraham said he would do, and he provided a lamb for himself. We read here that he found a ram caught by his horns in the thicket. A ram is a mature male sheep. And although Isaac was a picture of Christ. And he was a picture of the willingness of the father to sacrifice his son. The ram is also a picture of Jesus Christ. Because he was the substitute sacrifice. He was offered in the stead, it says here, of someone else or something else. He was offered, the ram was offered as a sacrifice, as a, as a substitute in the stead of his son. In the song that we sang, we read the word vicarious. We sang the word vicarious. Uh, the word vicarious is Latin for the word substitute. And it means, in the center, it means in the place of. Jesus lived a vicarious life, but he suffered a vicarious death. He suffered a substitute death. And that substitute death was for me and for you. He went in the place of, he went in the set of, just as this lamb went in the place of Abraham's son, Isaac. In verse 14, Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh, this means that the Lord provides. You see, a sacrifice was provided. A sacrifice was needed. And a sacrifice was provided. The Lord provided a suitable substitute sacrifice. In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Jireh doesn't mean seen. It means that it is provided. But the sacrifice, when he says there, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. The, the focus of Jehovah Jireh is not that something is seen but that the sacrifice is provided and it was seen by the people that it was provided. Jehovah Jireh. You see, in this situation, a ram caught in the thicket was a suitable substitute for, the, for sacrifice. But when it came to my sin, there was only one suitable sacrifice that would be able to pay my debt for me. His robe for money. He took off my wickedness, the, the robe of wickedness that I wore, and he gave me his robe of righteousness. And he took my robe of wickedness and put it on himself so that when he went to the cross, he had my sin on his shoulders. You see, even the best, the most humble, the most 
righteous human man ever born. If he ever tried to pay for my sin, he would not be a suitable substitute sacrifice. Here's why. Because he would be a sinner. And he would have to pay for his own sin. Unless he trusted in the Lord to pay his there is nobody that could pay. Uh, you could die for your spouse, you could die for your children, but that would just be physical death. You cannot die in their place. You cannot, you, there is no such thing as children that are born Christians. You may be born into a Christian home, but your parents cannot make you Christians. You have to become a Christian. You have to, it is a personal thing that you have to have come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was perfect, sinless, and willing to come to this earth and die for me. Now listen, He alone could be my atonement. He's the only one. He could accomplish the propitiation that was required by a righteous and holy God. The word propitiation, we sung that in the song also. I love that song. I, that is just absolutely one of my favorite songs of all time. I love the picture there of His robes for mine, but the propitiation one... That the, the, word, the word atonement is Jesus is our payment. He is our atonement. The atonement is what is paid. The propitiation is the one who paid it. He is the, he is the source of the atonement. My propitiation was taken care of. He was my propitiation. And he took care of my atonement for my sins. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. God provided a ram instead of Isaac. This was sufficient for the occasion as a type. But that which was typified by the ram is infinitely more glorious. In order to save us, God provided God. I cannot put it more simply. He did not provide an angel, nor a mere man, but God himself. And that goes to what we talked about this morning. Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. God sent God to die for our sins. God sent his only begotten son but he sent God. Jesus was not just the son of God. He was not just somebody who God loved. He wasn't somebody who God adopted. It was his only begotten son. But he was God himself and he sent himself to die for our sins. In verses 15 through 19, God affirms his promise. Abraham, his obedience and faith did not earn him the right to be a father of a great nation and have his descendants bless all the earth. But because of his obedience, God reaffirmed his blessings that would come to Abraham and his seed. Again, that blessing, that seed, that blessing in verse 17, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven and the sand which is upon the sea shore, and thy seed shall possess the gates of, of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. This is talking specifically about Jesus Christ, the Messiah who would come. So what shall we do? Maybe as we've talked through this life of Abraham over the last couple of months, and we're going to continue. And I've stated that these are not men of great faith, but of growing faith. I don't know if any of you in this room would say, I'm a person of great faith. But maybe you have thought, well, I'm okay. I've got weak faith like Abraham had. It's okay. I'm just like everybody else. Listen, the only kind of faith that is acceptable to God is growing faith. You cannot say, God's okay with me in my weak faith. God's okay with me in the, the fact that I display a lack of faith because that's just how I am. That's how God created me. 
You have not had to live through what Abraham lived through, but we have recorded it so we can learn from his life. Wouldn't you rather learn from him than go through the things he went through? And so maybe your response is like, well, you know, we're, we've gone through already in the last few weeks, last couple months. We've gone through about 50 years of Abraham's life. We've only had a few months to study this. So I mean, we're talking 50 years compared to a few months. But listen, the point is not to compare your faith or your level of faith with the level of faith that Abraham had. The point is to ask the question, is my faith stronger today than it was yesterday? Is it stronger today than it was last week? Is it stronger today than it was last month? Is it stronger today than it was last year? Are you growing in your faith? Studying the life of Abraham ought to bring us to the point where instead of saying, I have no idea how it acted in this situation, and we don't. But it takes us to the point of saying, Lord, I want to act like that in that situation. I want to obey you. I want to trust you. And if you say that I need to do something that makes no sense to me. And listen, don't make up stuff in your mind and blame it on God. We, we see that all around us. People say, well, this is what God told me to do. Prove it. Because God doesn't talk to us the way you talk to him. Now, God, God, God told me this. It's sinful. But God said, no, God didn't tell you to do something sinful. It's harmful to others. It's going to hurt. And I don't mean hurt emotionally or hurt, hurt somebody's feelings. But it's going to hurt someone else. Be careful what you blame on God. But your, the question is, if I encountered the situation I encountered last year, would I handle it with more faith than I did last year? If I encountered a situation that I encountered several years ago, would I handle it with more faith than I did several years ago? Listen, are you growing in your faith? We have, you might say, man, we didn't have God talking to us like he had. We don't, we don't have the same things. We have the benefit of having the full revelation of God in our hands. This is it. There's no more for us in this life. There's no more information than we have right here in our hands. So we have that. We have the full revelation of the Lamb. We can look back and say, I see what God was doing. Isaac may not have understood it, but we can look back and say, oh man, obviously that Lamb is a, is a type or it's a picture of Jesus dying vicariously for us, paying the atonement for our sins. Our faith ought to be growing at a much more rapid pace than Abraham's faith. Because we have so much more benefit. We are blessed so much to have what we have that they did not have. And listen, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. That didn't happen in the old days. That, there were, that, we have record of the Holy Spirit coming on someone. But living in someone, I have him every day, every moment, every hour of, of my life. The Holy Spirit lives in me. I have no excuse to not be growing my faith. And to whom much is given... Much will be required. You have been given much, and so much will be required. Thank you for joining us today on the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about First Baptist Church, visit us online at fbchazelpark.com.